I was just reminded as I'm sitting here, a train going by with oil and coal on it. Uh, this train track along I-90 here in Montana runs with countless trains, it seems, back and forth, back and forth. And I've been thinking, well, boy, they're hauling a lot of coal to some of our electricity-generating plants, I guess. And I thought of the one there at Billings, and they must be supplying it. So I asked the local yesterday, where is all this coal going? He said, to China. Uh, it's an almost endless string of trains shipping our coal to China. And he said, nearly all the coal in America now goes to China. So uh, we know that big electric electricity generating plant there near Page was being supplied by coal from the Navajo Nation. And they shut it down and took those big stacks down completely. And it is, it is no more. And I suppose, well, they, they stopped the coal from coming from the Navajo Nation. But all this coal here, mile after mile after mile of trains, is all going to China. So uh, just a little something to cheer you up about what's going on in our country. No wonder God is so upset with us with all the things that we do as humans here on this earth. And as his example, nation Israel... Uh, or at least Ephraim, when we gave everything we need, and we can't get along because we can't use the things we need because of men and politics. But that's the world we live in. Last week we were in Isaiah 5 about God's vineyard, and there is reference here both to physical Israel and spiritual Israel. Uh, you could almost apply them exclusively to the church, except that he does talk about house to house and field to field across our country to show that it is encompassing everything. Uh, there's a message in and out about the church because we're so entwined with our nation. The destruction of the church has essentially already occurred, and now we're seeing our nation fall apart before our very eyes, as the scriptures have been telling us now for quite some time. We came down to the end of chapter 5 and how verse 24 it cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and that certainly could apply to our nation which has basically nothing to do with God anymore and the church which has departed from God in its own way. So he says his anger is not turned away, down in verse 26. And he will lift up an ensign to the nations from far and will hiss to them from the end of the earth. And he makes it very clear at the end of, of, of uh, Haggai 2 that Zerubbabel is the ensign or the banner or the main human leader through whom he is going to work. And it's interesting the way he puts this here. I'll send an instant to the nations from far and will hiss to them from the end of the earth. And this is talking about the remnant of the church. It's not talking about the physical Israelites here, which I'll show you in the context. He'll hiss to them. And they'll come from the end of the earth, and behold, they shall come with speed swiftly. None shall be weary, nor stumble among them. None shall slumber nor sleep. Neither shall the girdle of their loins uh, be loose, uh, nor the latchet of their shoes be broken. Whose arrows are shot, and all their bows bent, their horses' hooves shall be counted like flint, and their wheels like a whirlwind. Now, this is speaking essentially of the remnant. Remember Laodicea in Revelation 3, and how they're asleep at the wheel, not paying much attention, lackadaisical, and not ready 
to build or go to war or anything of that nature. They're just going through the motions. These people, he's speaking up here, are wide awake. Uh, they're ready to go. Their weapons are sharpened. Now, doesn't that remind you of Paul, which we read recently in Ephesians, about having the whole armor of God and all the things that we need to go to war against Satan and this world? And this is the same type of language here. But notice how we can tie this to the church. First of all, the leadership, and that these people are ready to do something. It says, their roaring shall be like a lion. They shall roar like young lions. Yes, they shall roar and lay hold of the prey and shall carry it away safe, and none shall deliver it. So whatever they set their hand to do, it will get done. And in that day, they shall roar against them like the roaring of the sea. Now, isn't the church going to roar against the world? It'll be a battle with the world, especially with the two going out every day to roar at them like the roaring of the sea, and it can't be stopped. Uh, for any of you who have been to the sea, and most have, I think, when those waves come crashing ashore, there's not a thing you can do about it, whether it's a gentle tropical surf uh, you still hear it gently breaking, but if the wind is blowing somewhere and the waves are high and it crashes and roars, uh, it's going to do it and continue to do it until it subsides on its own. And that's the way that the church is going to be against the world. We will come with sharp arrows, the word of God, as sharp as a two-edged sword, or like a sharp arrow, and darts, it says in other places. So, it can't be stopped, like the roaring of the sea. It just goes on, wave after wave after wave of it. And if one look to the land, behold darkness and sorrow. And the light is darkened in the heavens thereof. So the world will be in darkness. Uh, people will have been, Americans at least, that have survived, will be in slavery. And the rest of the world will be feeding from the beast. And it will be a very dark time with very little food, very little comfort. And yet the only thing that they can have it all will be what the beast gives them. Uh, and that's all. Because it will be very limited and the whole world will be, in that sense, in slavery to the beast. And the only ones that will be free are the ones that God has called out who come swiftly, ready to go to work. And they will be the ones that he works through. So this is talking about the incident that God sets up and those that come to him to go to work. Those who are alive and well and make up the Philadelphia First Church of God. So let's go on then to chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Eternal sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. So... It goes from God appointing an ensign and having people ready to work and to go against the world, and then you see Christ appear here. Above it stood the seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the eternal of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So he's going to come. He says he'll dwell with the remnant church. And perhaps 
we'll see a little of his glory there. And, of course, it will soon overspread the whole earth shortly after, only three and a half plus short years, and then he will appear fully and totally to rule. But it starts out in a slower way, and this ties in with Ezekiel 5 and about uh, the chariot of Christ. Maybe he'll come in a chariot, and I've speculated that he might even use one of those chariots or something similar to his own to transport the two witnesses to different cities around the world day after day so that they come back to Zion at night and people will have to look to Zion as the place of God. And there he will be with his people and sending those two out to preach every day. So they've covered the whole earth. So this is similar to what Ezekiel is saying. And he comes then uh, with them saying, Holy, holy, holy. So it's kind of a portable throne. And just like the throne of the Father and the Son in heaven, uh, they're singing, Holy, holy, holy. Reminding any and everyone within hearing that this is God. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. So he comes here to the temple, and God's people will have been building the temple. Now, whether this is a spiritual temple or the physical is being built, or both, I guess, remains to be seen exactly how this works out. But it was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me. This is Isaiah speaking here. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So when he says he's undone, it means he's exasperated, he's confused, he's frustrated, he's scared. Undone, in other words. Um, my, my nerves, my mind, my feelings, my emotions are all undone and racing about in every direction because here I am, a man who is just a man, and yet I'm in the presence of the Lord and his angels and these beings singing, Holy, Holy, Holy. Scared him. Undid him. Then flew one of the seraphim to me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. So to be in the presence of God, he needed to be cleansed and purged so that he could have some comfort having just been told by the angel that his sin was washed away. Now that makes you feel a whole lot better if you feel clean and purged to go before God. You know yourselves, as we all do, that when we have not been on our best behavior and may have sinned with our hands or our mouth or our uh, mind, that when we go in the presence of God in prayer, we have to repent, we have to, ask, have to ask for forgiveness so that our conscience is cleansed of the things that are between us and God because sin separates us from God. So that bond of closeness has to be rebuilt. And here, Isaiah, who was a prophet of God, was still a man and still imperfect, and all of those imperfections certainly came to his mind as he realized he was in the presence of holiness. So the angel put him at rest there and made him feel at peace in Christ's presence by saying your sins are forgiven and you're cleansed. And I heard the voice of the eternal saying, Whom shall I send? 
And who will go for me? Now, obviously, that's a leading question. He would not have come to Isaiah in the manner in which he did here if he didn't intend for it to be Isaiah. But he gave Isaiah opportunity and choice. Uh, he had to accept the role that Christ was setting before him. And he's done that in the past, if you go through the scriptures, and given people opportunity where they have to make a decision. Will I do what God wants, or will I ignore it and go my way? Uh, God gives that opportunity. Not always. In Jonah's case, it was more, you will go. And when Jonah resisted, and God read his mind, read his heart, and knew ahead of time what Jonah's attitude would be, because he knew the conditions, and he knew what he was going to lay on him, and he knew what Jonah would do, and how he would respond. So he goes about each and every one differently, but he still gives certain options most of the time, uh, and here with Isaiah, he certainly did. Who will I go? Then said I, here am I, send me. He was feeling a whole lot better about the situation now that the angel had told him, your sin is purged, you're clean, and being and feeling cleansed, when he was asked the question, who will go, he said, well, you might as well send me. He was willing and ready to do so. And God wants us to be of a ready mind. So he's giving you and me a choice right now to be a part of his end time work. And we then have to either deny or accept that option. So he's giving us the same opportunity in that sense that he gave Isaiah right here. Now he will give that to the two who are his will be his witnesses, they will also have a choice to make, because that is the context which he is using here of sending his ensign, and in this case he sent Isaiah to send the message uh, that we are going to be reading about through the book of Isaiah. He had a message to give, not only to people then, but to be written down for people now, and especially now. Not so much through the Middle Ages, uh, but now, at the end time, when all of this is coming to a dramatic finale. And he said, go and tell this people. So he knew what Isaiah would do. He asked, who will I send? Isaiah said, send me. And the deal was done. So once they had agreed, then Christ said, go and tell this people. Here's the message then. Hear you indeed, but understand not, and see you indeed, but perceive not. You may see me speaking, you may hear what I say, you may later read it, but you won't get it. And that's the way the church is today about these end-time prophecies. For the most part, they simply don't get it. They don't understand what God is going to do here at the end. Most of them, I guess, still cling to the idea they're going to Petra someday. I don't know. I haven't been around enough of them to, to grasp where each and every group is today. But there's certainly no message out there such as what we're reading out of these prophecies. They just don't get it. They don't understand. And if you try to tell them, they don't like it. The, the old era of Jerusalem in the Middle East is the place in their mind. And you tell them it's in Ephraim, which the scriptures say, and they will not believe it. They just It's just simply 
something they can't perceive, something they cannot understand or hear. They'll see it someday, but they will not today. And that's the message that Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the minor prophets are giving all the way through. And very, very few in the church have a clue what these things are talking about. So he says part of the message is make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. God doesn't want them all to be converted and healed right now. He is going to send 90% into the tribulation, and then they will begin to wake up and hear when they see all these prophecies come to pass, and they see people gathered at the true Jerusalem and the real Zion, and they see God working through them, then they're going to begin to think and see and hear instead of having their eyes and ears closed. So God says that that's the way it will be with them. They just won't get it. And he even says it here through Isaiah, that that's the way it will be. So he's going to give him a message, but he's saying here, you're not going to get much results. <laughs> They're just not going to listen. They won't understand. So don't be discouraged, in other words. Uh, realize that's the way it is and shall be. And when Isaiah went out to speak these words to people personally, that's the reaction he got. And now when they're read to people today, they simply can't grasp it, perceive it, or understand it because God has not opened their minds to understand Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the Minor Prophets and even the prophecies of the New Testament. Then said I, Lord, how long? How long do I have to preach? How long is it before this changes and people will understand? When will they grasp? Well, God answers that. How long? Same question Habakkuk had. Same question you and I have. How long, O oh Lord, is Habakkuk put it? And Isaiah put it a little bit differently, just saying, How long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. They're not going to listen. They will not hear. Uh, he tells us, through the prophet Jeremiah, do not even pray for this people, or they will not repent. Now, if they understood, God would have no choice but to destroy them because they would be denying him. So he makes them where they cannot understand, cannot perceive, so that he can save them later. And Christ did the exact same thing when he was here on the earth, where he spoke in parables so that they could not understand and would not get the meaning, really, of what he was preaching. He preached it as he needed to do, but they didn't get it. And the disciples even had trouble getting it. He even told Peter, when you are converted... Then go feed my sheep. Because Peter was not yet converted, and even though he had a certain amount of head knowledge, he didn't really grasp what it was all about and what was going on. And the church is that way today, and the nation is certainly that way today. So it applies with both. So he says this, this is going to be this way until the devastation comes. The devastation is now at the door and has already started with murders with COVID and murders in other ways. Uh, it has not spread 
to the place we see people falling all around us yet, but it will get there. It started. And they are falling over dead at age 30 with no, nothing apparently wrong with them except some slimy blood clots uh, from vaccinations. So until it be utterly desolate and the Lord have removed men far away, says the ones that aren't killed are going into captivity, one-third, and a sword after them in Ezekiel 5. And there be a great forsaking in the midst of them. So they'll forsake everything good, they'll forsake God, and this applies to most of the church and most of the nation. But there is some hope. But yet in it shall be a tent, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak, whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. So the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. So there are some who will stand like a teal or an oak tree. I didn't look up teal tree to know exactly what that might be, but an oak tree is very strong and very powerful. It has hard wood and can withstand an awful lot of difficulty without falling down or dying. Oak is a very strong tree. So some are going to be solid, pillars, if you will, like an oak tree is a pillar. And they will return one-tenth. So this is speaking of the church here. One-tenth will come. They will understand. They will grasp it. Their ears and their eyes will become sharp. <laughs> and they'll see and understand. And the same is true of our nation, where Ezekiel speaks of about one-tenth remaining to go over into the millennium. And then they will also understand and respond, just like the church did earlier, to come build a temple and to do the end-time work. Then he goes into a story here about the end-time and a conspiracy and how this will work out. So, he's talking here about desolation in the country, desolation in the church, and everything being destroyed, the cities and everything, so the war has occurred, pretty much. So he gives some lead up to that here in chapter 7, and how, how it will progress, and how the church fits in with it. It came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. So here is a conspiracy among Gentiles and Israelites to destroy uh, King David and Jerusalem. We have the same thing developing today. I don't know how much you've read about Prince Charles in the past. Now, King Charles III. But he said in 2011 that he is uh, the son of Dracula, going all the way back to absolute demonism. And that's where he says his real heritage is. He also said recently in a speech that the beast power would need a trillion dollars and a large army. Uh, I do not know for sure what the derivation and the genealogy of King Charles is. I suspect that he may be Edomite rather than Israelite. And he may be very, very involved in the destruction of Israel because uh, the Gentiles and the Edomites are going to rise above. And they will be very happy to see Israel destroyed, as the book of Obadiah clearly shows. And King Charles has said that the population of the earth needs to be devastated. He's another one of those who is a total greenie 
and wants most people gone. So we shall see how this turns out, and a lot of people have speculated that he might be the beast. I don't know that. Uh, I've read it. Maybe so. We'll see. But Jeremiah 50 and 51 make it very clear that our leaders will shake hands with the enemy and sell us out. And we're watching that happening in real time today between Washington, China, and Russia, where we're being sold out. Have been sold out. It just hasn't finished being destroyed yet. So, this in Isaiah 7 is simply a prophecy for the end time uh, using the characters of old, using circumstances of old, to describe how it would be here at the end. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim, and his heart was moved, and the heart of his people, as the trees of the wind, are moved with the wind. So, the king of Judah, house of David, uh, was upset by this. It's scary. And the church represents specifically the house of Judah today, and this conspiracy is happening within our own land, Ephraim, and the Gentiles are involved in the destruction of our country. Then said the Lord to Isaiah, Go forth now uh, to me your food with Ahaz, you and uh, Trying to see that what that says here. I'm in the shade. Fear Jasherb as your son at the upper end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. I got most of that right. <clears throat> and say to him, Take heed and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted. For the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin with Syria and of the son of Remaliah. So he says, don't be afraid of this conspiracy. And we look at it today, and we see China and India and Brazil and South Africa as the BRICS uh, involved with China and with Russia, and they're expanding that alliance to include others. And the target is Europe, in the United States, because God says the Gentiles will rise up and destroy Israel. But he says, here, don't be afraid. Now, we could easily today, could we not, be afraid of the things that are happening in Washington, D.C.? They're destroying our military on purpose. They're doing the same thing in Britain. I think I told you that... A white man cannot apply to be a pilot in the Royal Air Force anymore. Only women and minorities. No white men. Uh, what a hypocrisy we are. And we're, our leaders are absolutely selling us out. And they have said, several of them now, and it's becoming more and more open, that they intend to destroy about half the people of this nation uh, in civil war, however it comes down. Now, that is a fearsome thing, to realize Americans are going to be shooting each other on the street. Violence in the land, ruler against ruler, as Jeremiah says, and person against person always follows. So, it is almost upon us now, and it's kind of a fearsome thing to think about. You won't be able to go anywhere for fear of being shot at. Other scriptures say that the highways will be desolate. People will be afraid to go anywhere or do anything. So this conspiracy is upon us. They've taken evil counsel, saying in verse 6, Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, 
and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabael. So they're preparing a coup here. We've already seen a political coup in this nation where office was taken by an illegitimate so-called president, and they've set him up as our ruler, our king, if you will. And he's making noises just like a dictator or a king would make. So this is very real. Thus says the Eternal, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. Our leaders are making deals with our enemies, and they're going under. And that's what he says right here. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin, and within threescore and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. So he said, Ephraim is in a conspiracy with Gentiles. But it's not going to come to pass against you, against the church in that sense, because Ephraim will be destroyed, that it be not a people, within about 65 years. And the word here in the Hebrew is circa, or close to, or about, or approximately 65 years. And I've looked back on this uh, 65 years back from about this time, over the last three or four years I've looked at that, and the only thing I could find that had any real significance, and I've gone over this several times, was the Bilderbergers being formed, and I think it was June of 1954. And that was a conspiracy of top people, financially, and the elites of this world, to destroy Israel. And about 65 years later, they initiated that program by dumping COVID on us toward the end of 2019, about 65 years later. And since then, we've been going downhill as a nation very rapidly, and not even, I mean, they, they conspired to make us hide from each other behind masks, to be leery of each other, not to trust, and to begin breaking civilization down very, very rapidly. Then they introduced the vaccines to plant death in people, and that is going to continue to increase because those people have had their immune systems destroyed, pretty much, and many, many, many more are going to die. And then they're going to do other things to be sure that that happens. Now they're starting to take the food away. So Ephraim is basically broken that it be not a people. A people meaning a people able to do things, to accomplish things. Most Americans today feel absolutely helpless. We cannot get together to do anything. <clears throat> a lot of people understand that we have a false government, and they would like to see it gone, but they're powerless to do anything about it. And they can't get themselves together enough to go in and take over and to destroy it and to hang the people who need on. They can't get it done. But God is going to cause our enemies from afar to come in and finish Ephraim off and take it captive. So this prophecy is in the midst of being fulfilled right now today. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. So God is telling you about the conspiracy that is occurring right now against Israel. That is, Western Europe and America, Canada and Australia primarily, with others scattered around here and there, but wherever Israel went by the Gentiles around us. And you're not stable if you don't grasp what's going on here. You can't be stable when you don't have a clue. Moreover, the Eternal spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Seek a sign of the Eternal, your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. 
God went to the leaders of physical Israel here, or the leader, and said, ask me a sign. Turn to me and ask my opinion. Ask me to show you what's going on. And he declined. Just as if that were to happen today, our leadership would absolutely decline. They're communists and fascists. They're not Christians. So he said, ask the sign of the eternal. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. And he has said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the eternal. So he wouldn't do what God directly asked him to do. He simply turned away and rebelled against turning to God and asking his opinion. When God had offered. Now our nation pretty much did that when Herbert Armstrong came on the scene and began to preach over radio and television so that you could hardly get out of the hearing of his voice if you had any radio or TV on <coughs> for many years. Go to God, ask him. Nope, not going to do that. And he said, Hear you now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men... But will you weary my God also? When men rule, they wear us out. They make us weary. They make us frustrated. And not only that, but Ahaz was acting in such a way that he was wearying God. And we did the same thing in the church. We wore out our welcome, if you will, and got skewed. Therefore, the Eternal Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Now, Christ came as a human, and to fulfill this in part, but there is the way this is worded, it indicates that it is also a fulfillment in the end time, not just of his physical first coming. Remember it says there in Matthew that you will call his name Jesus, but they will call him Emmanuel. And you and I know that Jesus means God is salvation, essentially. And that Emmanuel means God with us. Now, he did not come as Emmanuel the first time. He came as Jesus, or Joshua, as God is salvation, and offered salvation to the disciples, to those whom he called, the thousands of the early New Testament church. But he didn't become Emmanuel to them. He was just God is salvation. And it says they will call him Emmanuel, speaking of a time in the future. So the time in the future, the end time prophecies have arrived. So now is an appropriate time to begin thinking of using Emmanuel. We may have jumped the gun a little bit, but God has been with us. And he's revealed all these things to us in a way that he has not revealed it to the rest of the church. So I think using Emmanuel already is not necessarily presumptuous because he has been with us and showed us things that we understand, not because we're great, but because he has to start in a small way somewhere for these things to be known so that it can spread later and there'll be a place for people to go. But shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Well, that's not just speaking of Mary. That's speaking of the end-time church at the time Emmanuel will be used. And if you read on through Isaiah and some other prophecies as well, you will see that the church pushes and pushes to give birth to Christ and brings forth nothing but air. 
She strains. She works at it and can't bring forth. Uh, right here in the book of Isaiah, toward the end, uh, he goes through that. But then she will. Uh, and he says there in Zechariah, he will come and dwell with the church. Those who come to Zion, he will come and dwell with. So that is the church, and he speaks of the church as a virgin in that sense, will conceive and bring forth Christ. We have struggled and brought forth nothing but ourselves to a great degree in our efforts in the end time church and worldwide and didn't bring Christ forth in the way that these prophecies indicate he must be brought forth. He must dwell in us. He must lead us. We must follow his lead. And that's what this is talking about. At the time that he will begin to be called Emmanuel. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you abhor shall be forsaken of both her kings. So about the time that the child, Christ being brought forth in our lives and in our work, comes to pass, we'll lose both our kings, both our leaders. I don't know whether that might be Biden and Trump, or whether it might be Biden and Kamala, or just who this is speaking of, or their replacements, uh, but the rulers of the nation of Ephraim. Uh, the book of Hosea backs that up, saying we'll lose our king. So somebody's going to get assassinated. And that certainly ties in with Jeremiah, who says that there will be violence in the land, ruler against ruler. They're talking about killing each other now, already. You can, you can see it in the news, the speeches they make. They're already saying that so-and-so needs to die. So this is shaping up very rapidly. Verse 17, the Lord shall bring up on you and upon your people and upon your father's house days that have not come from the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, even the king of Assyria. So Israel was divided back there between the ten tribes and Judah and Levi and uh, Benjamin with them. Two houses. And he says there's going to be con con destruction that's worse than since those days. And it shall come to pass in that day that the eternal shall hiss for the fly that is in the uttermost part of the rivers of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. Egypt represents the kingdoms of this world. Assyria is a specific one. I think it's becoming very clear day by day that the Assyrian is essentially Russia. And that the Egypt then would be the other nations that ally with her uh, to come against Israel, which is led by Ephraim at this time uh, as the United States. But the rest of Europe is in very, very sad shape and coming down at the same time. So who is the immediate protagonist? Russia. Uh, the battle in Ukraine is going on because the United States and NATO pushed there and did a coup in the Ukraine. And Russia is feeling threatened by the U.S. and NATO. And therefore, they were going to take Ukraine back. So what do we do? We supply Ukraine. We're on their side. We're supplying billions and billions and billions of dollars worth of war machines and ammunition to them and missiles and no telling wall. So we're very much in the war against Russia already. And they're saying that one-third of the Ukrainian soldiers are European. So we've already got a fighting force in Ukraine fighting Russia. And Russia's saying if you keep escalating this, we'll use missiles, maybe even nuclear weapons. Because we're the ones that are pushing it and slowing Russia down 
It's not the Ukrainians. They had no power to do anything. But with our might behind them, there is a battle going on. And this is going to escalate. World War III is already happening between, essentially, Assyria and the United States. NATO is going along with the U.S. because of the deep alliance that has been there. But Europe is going to be without gas and oil and heat this winter. And their industry is already shutting down in Germany and other places because they don't have the power, the energy, to continue. So this thing is going to escalate. In the meantime, we are sending our uh, oil and gas reserves to China and shipping our coal to China, as I said earlier. And we are being disassembled by our own country in front of our very eyes. And they are in alliance with China and Russia. And we shot ourselves in the foot by sanctioning Russia. It'll turn out <laughs> that we shot ourselves in the head, not the foot. It appears it's the foot first and then works its way up the body because this will escalate into an outright of the obvious World War III, not just the beginnings of it, as we are now seeing. Verse 19, And they shall come, and shall rest all of them in the desolate valleys, and in the holes of the rocks, and upon all the thorns, and upon all bushes. In other words, lots of them. They're just going to be everywhere. In the same day shall the Lord... Uh, shave with a razor that is hired, namely, by them beyond the river, by the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it shall consume the beard. Just kind of shave us bald, if you will, using that analogy. And he calls it bees, uh, the, these nations coming against us. If you've been in a swarm of bees, uh, it's very frustrating, it's scary. A swarm of flies is irritating, or a swarm of mosquitoes is irritating, but a swarm of bees is threatening, if you will. More fear there. They sting more, harder. And it shall come to pass in that day that a man shall nourish a young cow and two sheep and it shall come to pass for the abundance of milk that they shall give that they shall give, he shall eat butter, for butter and honey shall everyone eat that is left in the land. Won't be many people left, and there'll be a cow here and a couple of sheep there, and there won't be all this processed food to eat. Uh, there'll only be what is left. Everyone eat that which is left in the land. Won't be much left. It's all going to be taken away. And it shall come to pass in that day that every place shall be where there were a thousand vines and a thousand silverlings, it shall even be for briars and thorns. No one left to cultivate, no one left to farm, no water left to farm with. And on all hills that shall be digged with a mattock, there shall not come there the fear of briars and thorns, but it shall be for the sending forth of oxen and for the treading of lesser cattle. <laughs> In other words, wandering about with just a few animals, and they will have to be there to provide anything that is left. what time it is. Let me look here. Moreover, the Eternal said to me in chapter 8, Take you a great roll and write in it with a man's pen according uh, concerning Maher Shalal Hashbaz. So here he is to write this down. And I took to me faithful witnesses to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of 
Jabbatiah, and I went unto the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then said the Eternal to me, Call his name Maher Shalel Hashbaz. Speed the prey, come quickly. For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, my father and my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria, <coughs> shall be taken away before the king of Assyria. So a very short period of time will occur from the time that this is conceived until it comes to pass. The Eternal spoke to me again, saying, For as much as this people refuses the waters of Shiloh, that go softly and rejoice in Rezin and Remaliah's son, they're in on the conspiracy. They don't want to listen to anything peaceful, a, a, a peaceful river. They want to listen to power, to money, to influence. And that's the way our leaders are today, and they go to the king of Assyria. Remember in Hosea, it talks about how the king of Israel will go to the king of Assyria like a foolish dove and be taken in and destroyed. And behind the scenes, you can be sure that those leaders of the nations who have been trained by Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum, like the leader of Germany, like the leader of uh, Great Britain, like some of the leaders of the United States, like King Charles, they've all been trained under that man. Uh, even Putin has been. So they're all buddies behind the scenes conspiring against this nation. And... They don't want to listen to peace. They want war. Uh, the Pentagon wants war. They make a lot of money off war and of killing people. So that's what this is talking about. They don't want to hear peaceful things from Shiloh, from God, but they want their conspiracy. Now, therefore, behold, the Eternal brings uh, upon them the waters of the river strong, and many, even the king of Assyria, and all his glory. <laughs> so they've been conspiring behind the scenes, making friends, and they're going to be betrayed in that so-called friendship, no honor among thieves, uh, by the king of Assyria, by Russia, and all of those allies who come with. They'll think they have a good deal worked out. Well, they're all liars and thieves. Don't you think the leaders of China and Russia and all these countries don't recognize what those people in Washington are? They're pawns. They're puppets. They're liars and thieves on the take. How do you think they'll be treated when we are invaded by a consortium of nations led by Russia? They'll kill them. They don't want them. They've used them. They're used up. Now kill them. But they don't know that yet. And he shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks. And he shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck. And the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Now the true shape of the real Jerusalem has two wings that look kind of like the wings of an eagle with a dip in between them, like where a neck would go down. And it is and was uh, a neck of land going out in between two seas, the former and the hinder seas. And at that location today, you can still see where the water was on both sides. And he's going to come even to there but be repelled, at least initially. Then he'll be able to come in and take over Jerusalem 
and be violent for 42 months while the church is in Zion being protected there. But they'll come even to the neck of the land and fill the breadth of Emmanuel's land. Well, where's Emmanuel going to be? Jerusalem and Zion and the original promised land in southern Utah. Associate yourselves, O your people, and you shall be broken in pieces. Give ear, all you far countries. Gird yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. Repeat it. Take counsel together, and it shall come to nothing. Speak the word, and it shall not not stand, for God is with us. God is with us is Emmanuel. And he will beat them down eventually. He'll use the two witnesses to start it with plagues, and then the seven last plagues, he will put them down, and he will come and rule the earth in peace, Shiloh, instead of war. But he says, go ahead, put yourselves together. Think you're going to rule the earth under Satan. It isn't going to come to pass. For God, Emmanuel, is with us. For the Eternal spoke thus to me with a strong hand, and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people. Excuse me. Say you not a confederacy to all them for whom this people shall say a confederacy or a conspiracy, neither fear you their fear nor be afraid. There is a conspiracy. There is a consortium of nations rising right now to destroy America and Europe and Canada. And there's another one of the leaders who has been trained by Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum is the Canadian leader. So they're all in cahoots. But don't worry about it. Don't fear the fear that all these people have. There are a lot of people in the alternative news who are afraid of what's coming. Well, we see it coming, and it says here it's going to happen, but don't be afraid of it. What are we to do instead? Sanctify the eternal of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your uh, dread. And he shall be for a sanctuary. He's going to dwell with his people. He's going to be a wall of fire around them and a covert over them through the day and the night and take care of them. But for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel. So he is going to be destroying Judah and Israel, all the tribes of Israel. At the same time, he's a sanctuary for those few who will serve him. And only those who have been a part of the church of God or become part of it will be protected in that sanctuary of Zion. So he's going to be against both houses of Israel for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He's going to use these Gentile nations to destroy Israel. And then he will come and destroy them for having done so. That happened in the past, in history, and it is going to be reenacted here again very shortly. Many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the law among my disciples. The rule of law is still in effect. God's law. And I will wait upon the Eternal that hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. Jeremiah says we are to seek him and find him, and he will be found of us. So he's been hiding his face from us. We've seen that in many scriptures, many prophecies. But he will turn it back and smile. Beginning. I just dropped my phone. I dropped the phone. There it is. Maybe you can hear me now. He's hid his face from the church, but he's going to turn it back to it and, and hide his face from the nation. 
him, Behold, I am the children whom the Eternal has given me. This is Isaiah speaking, and it reflects in uh, Haggai and Zechariah with the two who lead. <laughs> I am the children whom the Eternal has given me are for signs and for wonders. Signs and wonders will be done, Zechariah 3, to show the people where Christ Emmanuel is working and where he is, where his salvation will be. Signs and wonders in Israel from the eternal of hosts which dwell in Mount Zion. Mount Zion, the original one, is in southern Utah, and that's where they're going to be. And they shall pass through it, hardly be sad and hungry, and it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. And they shall look to the earth, and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. So only in one place will there be light and Christ ruling, God with us, Emmanuel, and the rest are going to be in darkness and destroyed and go hungry. That is what is just before us. It's already been loaded onto the plate, baked into the cake, however you want to say it, and it is now cooking, and the heat is going to be turned up in the months ahead. Maybe weeks, maybe months, but very shortly, because you can see it escalating day by day right now as they get bolder with their movements. So this is written for you and me right now. And he tells us, don't worry about what they're doing. Look to God. That is the action that needs to be. So we know where to turn. We know what to do. And fear him, not them. Unmuted. <laughs> 